1: Dustin Dopirak. Nope. Dopirak. Yes. Dustin Dopirak joining well, us now so on, close. <laughs> so close. on the Payless Less Liquors hotline. Uh, Dustin and I actually are now uh, seatmates at press conferences, sat next to each other yes. at a Pacers press conference. And, Dustin, I, again, uh, will apologize on the pronunciation. But uh, let's begin <laughs> with this summer. Fine, What's that? You're doing
2: fine, Jake. You're I, good, man. I'm trying. Don't worry
1: uh, <laughs> Let's make it real quick off the top. I mean, a simple question. A summer League, what, if anything, did we learn?
2: Uh, a little. I've just been just trying to process that myself. Obviously, the first two games were very different from the last three. Um, you know, when they had Matherin and then Martin Jackson available, they, they just seemed to have some level of uh, coherence and consistency. And after that, it was just kind of a bit of a mess, um, which I guess is to be expected, you know, when it's just – rookies and free agents and, you know, uh, guys who at least a handful of guys are not going to have any part of the the roster. So, um, you know, I think the, the guys that came back looked pretty good. Uh, you know, Mather, uh, Master Nembhard, and Jackson all, all look like they had some level of development. I mean, Nembhard, frankly, looked too good to be there. Um, you know, Mather looked like he was just going to go for 40 every night. He took 18 and a half shots a game. Uh, you know, obviously, was was reasonably productive. I thought Isaiah Jackson played. I thought really well. You saw some real, real good energy out of him. Um, and with those guys, when they had them together, I thought you saw some good moments for the rookies. I thought Jairus Walker had a really good first, you know, really good first two games. Uh, you know, it was sort of just okay after that at and had some struggles shooting the ball. Um, after you know, Again, Ben Shepard had some good moments, some bad moments. The two-way guys were just okay. Um, so, I mean, I thought it, when it was all together, it was all right. But then obviously, again, it's summer league. There's only so much you can take for this when you're really looking at probably five guys that are going to be on the roster when the season comes about.
0: That kind of goes into my next question. Uh, the offensive showing was not that great. Under 100 points, four out of five games. Do you chalk that up to just – Summer league, or, or what are your takeaways on that?
2: Yeah, I mean that's the biggest thing. Uh, is it just summer league, and these guys don't don't have it all together yet? And you're looking at, you know, uh, in some cases you've got guys who are doing some experimental stuff and and playing around and everything. Um, and again, in some other cases you've got a lot of guys on the floor that are not going to be NBA players, uh, you know, when the season comes around. And that's that's a, a big piece of it. You're, you're just giving a lot of minutes to people that aren't going to score. I mean, again, I'm looking at these numbers. Uh, you know, it, there was times when Matson was just like, I'm going to go get shots. You know, 18 and a half a game, shot 35%. I mean, he's better than that. You know, uh, you know, for one thing, I mean, he he got to the line some, but I think he was just like, okay, like uh, someone's going to go get the buckets, and that's someone's going to be me, Um, and you know, uh, that's fine. You know, obviously he'll he'll fit more seamlessly uh, into the offensive flow, basically, especially when Halliburton's running the show. Uh, Like I said, I I thought Matt Hart played really well. I mean, it was sort of odd that he had eight turnovers his first game, and Scott Scotty Agnes and I were sitting in the media room afterwards. We're like, where did these happen? Like, I don't even remember seeing them, Um, and I. I haven't gone back over to see them but other than that I mean he, he just seemed really in control the entire time and I think really when Nemhard didn't play also I mean Nemhard really just kind of created some level of flow and, and, and organization to the offense it just wasn't there after I thought Isaiah Wong had some good minutes but he didn't necessarily function like a point guard I mean you could tell he's a guy that, that's usually uh, more of a scoring attacking too and you know he, he again it just did this there didn't seem to be just sort of consistent offensive flow around him you saw Jarius Walker running a lot of point guard and I thought he did fine for a big guy I mean he showed um, a lot of sort of the offensive creativity and, and, you know, handle and everything like that that, um, you know, really stood out to them. But again, you know, when you're deciding that your power forward is going to operate as a point guard and, you know, he's brand new to the NBA, you're not necessarily going to get a a, a coherent offense. Um, So, yeah, that was, I I, I thought, a big piece to it. I mean, they played pretty well um, when... um, you know Nemhart was around and organizing everything. But the other thing they did not shoot it well from outside, really at all. I get you. You look at you, I'm looking at these three point numbers. Nemhart was 22 percent. Mathern was 26 percent. Matt Walker was 18 percent you know Isaiah Wong was the only one that hit a bunch at 40 percent and he hit a lot of those last night in the fourth quarter uh and Ben Shepard I thought was the only guy that was even reasonably consistent about shooting his threes it was 38.7 percent and those were at least spread out reasonably well across uh you know the the week um so that, that's another big piece too is guys just didn't shoot the ball well from outside
1: Dustin Opierak is our guest Yes. Oh, Ding thank the you. bell. Thank yes. On oh, the payload series hotline. Um I wanna talk more about Ben Shepard, Dustin. Mm. You know, I think defensively it might be a little bit better than what we realize when he was drafted. Mm. But is there can concern's probably the wrong word, because it's summer league, right? But but it feels like first round picks you expect them to come out and immediately show versus the other rookies, like, you would be able to say, like, well, that guy clearly is better than, you know, the other. He he really stands out. Did he do that at any point? Was there any point where Ben Shepard, to you, looked like the guy that was far more qualified to be there than the others on the floor?
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't feel that way. Uh, I I mean, I thought he had some good moments. I thought he defended pretty well. Again, you know, I mean, he was, you know, like – Probably the most consistent shooter, but that's not speaking well to everybody else i mean it was a, it was a week when nobody really shot it well i mean you, you had some moments and I thought he had a really good game too I'm trying to remember what he shot in that game. I want to say he had some, somewhere in the vicinity of twenty points I mean, and and really finished well uh, I thought in that one so i mean I guess that that part stood out is probably the last quarter of game two um and that was also the last quarter that everybody was together, so you know that kind of stood out I mean I saw you know, I had a Kind of a tip dunk, if I remember correctly. Um, You know, like it was was really rebounding well, attacking. You know, just did did a pretty good job defensively, but he was uneven. You know, I mean, I I thought he didn't have a great first game. He was really quiet in that game. He had some other moments. We had some defensive breakdowns. I thought. Um, You know, didn't didn't stand out next level. But I mean, he's a first round pick, but he's not. Their only first round pick. I mean, you know, Walker had more moments when he stood out, and you said, okay, well, I see why he's a lottery pick. You know, I, I get it. Um, you know, Shepard was obviously a late first round guy. Now, on the flip side of that, Marcus Sasser was a late first round guy, and he went off 40 yesterday. Um, and so, you know, I certainly saw more out of him in that game than I saw in Shepard all week. Um, so, you know, I, you know I, I, again, saw some things, saw some things that are of some value, but also I'm looking at that, uh, you know, the two and three positions, and they're, you know almost a little bit two stacked uh, you know it's gonna be really difficult for guys to get uh, minutes at that space you know uh, if nobody else clears out if they they go into this as is um you know you're looking at you know, Mather and Heald and, you know, Brown, and you've got Nemhard in that mix, and you've got Neesmith in that mix, Um, and and then you're throwing Shepard kind of in after that. So it's going to be a sort of tight scenario uh, where, you know, he's not going to be asked to to do a whole lot, you know, in year one, probably, again, if if they don't clear anybody out. Um, So... You know, like it's not. I guess to your point, it's not necessarily concerning uh, that he doesn't stand out that much. But you know, he he had some good moments. He again, he did some decent things on defense. Uh, you know, had some moments when he shot it well. You know, saw the energy on the on the glass. Um, you know, three point eight rebounds per game. That's. Okay, but again, as a two guard, that's not terrible. You know, you'll take that again. Uh, you know, an offensive rebound per game. He's at least doing some crashing of the boards. You know, there's some positives there. It didn't again, didn't stand out and you say, well, that's the guy. You know, like you, even when Walker was out, you weren't like, okay, Ben Shepard took over today. That didn't happen last night. Uh, you know, Isaiah Warren was the guy that was scoring more, and, and he wasn't necessarily great either. But um, so yeah, that that's I, I guess the thing that I would say there was never a point where you saw man Ben Shepherd really took over there.
0: Dustin, in your opinion, did anyone who might be a fringe roster player make their case to get added to the main roster?
2: Yeah, I don't think so. Um, you know, so like I said, Isaiah Warren had some good minutes, and I think you look at him and say, well, you know, if you need him, he can do it. You know, uh, Oscar sheebway, I think, I mean, all three of the two ways had some good moments um, that you could say, all right, well, if you got to call him up, he can do it you know if, if you, if you got to call him up he'll be okay um, and he'll be able to give you something um, but I'll, I'll break down each of those guys and I thought you know Wong showed he can score the basketball um, you, you would have liked better sort of just overall point guard play from him um, you know 2.6 assists, to 2.2 turnovers um, you'd like better than that obviously the thing is there I mean they've got three point guards you're looking at this and saying okay nemhard has got to get some more minutes at the one. you know what's that do to TJ McConnell because um, you can't move TJ McConnell to Nembhard you can move off but you know you also want to start developing him so that he is your second point guard he is the guy that's your second unit guy going forward um and you know even yeah so so there's that or or, or you know is is there a time when you have to move them hard uh or something like that it, it's that's sort of an interesting call but i mean he really played like a point guard and played like a really really good one um and he's one of the better defensive guys um so there's just there's not room or reason to move long up to play the point you know again they're, they're kind of stacked at the two as well so there's not necessarily a, an avenue that you see right now but if somebody gets hurt and you need him uh, he should be put the ball in the bucket so there's there were some good things there played with some po- poise and confidence uh, and was really good I think about attacking good at drawing contact uh, average three point eight free throws a game, so you're seeing him just go at the rim. I thought he did some good things yesterday with, uh, you know, knowing when he had defenders off balance to get some some, you know, easy free throws that way. Um, but again, just was one of the better shooters uh, all, all weekend, so that that was pretty decent. I thought Kendall Brown, you continue to see a, a lot of really good athleticism there, um, but they've really addressed the four, which is where I think he fits more than any place else. Uh, you know, by adding and by adding you know, sort of Walker in the draft, you still have Nisma who can play there in Jordan Nora? So I mean, there's not necessarily a clear path for him. But I thought he rebounded the ball well. He, he ran the floor well. Certainly finished at the rim in transition. You know, you, could see, you see him being a good rim runner guy. Uh, got up and blocked some shots too. You know, there's really good athleticism there. So I think he, he's shown why he deserves to still be around. Uh, sheetway was was interesting. You know, certainly the, the rebound rate. Uh, was there, I mean, when he was on the floor, man, I mean, he was just grabbing boards. Uh, average 6.8 rebounds a game when he was only playing 13-1 minutes. I mean, that's a pretty crazy, uh, you know, rebounding rate. And, you know, made 68.4 of his shots. He wasn't stepping out and doing anything. It was just, you know, like either getting the ball right around the rim or just putting back offensive rebounds. Didn't try to be anybody he wasn't. But I think, you know, he's only on, on the floor for 13.1 minutes. I thought, thought this, a lot of that is there's some slow footedness there um, that, that I thought stood out to me that, you know, you can't really put him in pick and roll coverages because you can have a problem. You know, you, there's, there's a good chance that he's going to get beat by those guys that are just uh, a lot quicker than him on the perimeter. And so there's a little bit of a liability there. Again, you're looking at a skill that really translates. Uh, in the rebounding, even though he's not super athletic, I mean, yeah, I, I I never really watched him really up close at all the time he had at Kentucky. Um, as as good as he was, like wasn't I? I can't think of a time where I really said I'm gonna really watch Kentucky and see what Oscar Shibway does. But like you really see, just the the positioning is really good, and that's what stands out. And so there's a you know transferable skill there, but like there's not elite athleticism. You know, he's not jumping over guys, um, and again, he's not just just didn't. It just seemed like he just wasn't moving that fast to defend people. So I could see how you're not looking at him and saying, well, that's a guy that you can uh, bring up and play some five for you if somebody gets hurt. Again, they're stacked at that position, too, and you can't move him around. Like, I don't think you can play him at the four. Like, I don't think he's quick enough. Um, So, you know, that I think was something that stood out to me, too, is that, again, on the glass, when he was really, really dominant, it it speaks to his uh, just – Knows for the ball and, and and really technique. I mean Isaiah Jackson even said he was, you know, taking pointers from from Shibley and and you saw that show up because Jackson had twelve and a half rebounds. You know, got got twenty five rebounds in two games. You know, four each night on the on the offensive glass. Um, but again, you you didn't see the athleticism, the quickness. That I think is going to need to be there. So I I don't see a really quick path to him to you know getting you know bounced up and playing some playing time there.
1: Dustin, one of the things to me that's interesting about summer league, and we're going to have to go based on the the games in which Mather and Nimhard and Jackson were playing, right? Because those are the guys mm-hmm. that are probably going to get, uh, you know, goes without saying some significant minutes in, in the regular season. Was there anything in terms of the style that was utilized, the style of play that because you would have to assume that they would be using or, or going with some sort of style of play or rotation set that would be similar to what they're going to do in the regular season to give everybody that sort of a look. Was there any wrinkle at all or anything in any way, shape, or form that made you raise an eyebrow like, oh, okay, well, maybe they are going to do something a little bit different or a tweak in terms of those three guys and, and how they were utilized?
2: I guess there wasn't necessarily anything that stood out to me stylistically um, in terms of how they operated. Just because I mean, I, I think offensively at least they ran like an Andrew Nembhard offense. You know, in that he was very much in control um, and you know just doing a good job of, of finding guys and getting guys open and everything like that. And they played the sort of pace that they tend to play when they've got Nembhard on the floor. Like it's 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 quick, but it's not. Tyrese Halliburton, you're pushing it all the time. Quick and again, when Halliburton's on the floor, it's, it's Halliburton's game. They're going to run. You know, they're going to really, really run when Tyrese is out there. So, so you kind of know that. Um, but I, I, I guess just the best answer I could give to that is I was just impressed with how they defended. You know, uh, in those games. I mean, just just how that looked. I mean, they, they had some lulls and whatnot, but like when the defense was good, it was really good. Like you, you know that I, I just saw some. Um, I guess, benefit to the focus that there's been on that. Now, obviously, again, it's a different story uh, in terms of who's going to be playing and everything. And, and, you know, uh, Nemhard's a better defender than... Tyrese is on the ball, you know, his ability to kind of stop guys. You know, Halliburton's really smart when it comes to reading passing lanes and and going and taking the ball because he's just got such a high basketball IQ. But as he would tell you, he he got overpowered by, you know, really good ball handlers, really, you know, strong, uh, you know, powerful guards. And that's going to be, that's been a focus uh, of his offseason is getting in the gym so he's not getting pushed around like that next year. Uh, You you would hope to see some, um, you know, results of that uh, for Team USA when he plays the World Cup. But, you know, them steady up there so you had a really you know strong um you know on the ball defender you know really gave Anthony Black some problems in particular when they were playing Orlando um so I but I was I was impressed by how they Swarmed. I thought when you had Jackson and Walker together, man, like it was really tough to score on those guys. And they went and took the ball from people. And you know, Walker is really good on the perimeter as a defender too. I mean, that that really stood out to me. And so the things they were able to do on defense because they had a good defensive lineup, uh, and they were able to just really attack and wall off and and you know rim protect and ball hawk and everything. I mean, there was just a lot of things they were able to do well. Uh, you know, with that lineup against the guys they were playing. Again, I mean, they didn't play. I don't think you know, Washington and Orlando had great summer league rosters, you know, to, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I, I thought they just did a really good job of, you know, swarming guys when they had to, keeping uh, guards in front of them. You know, and again, and a guy like Walker who could take the ball from somebody on the perimeter and swat the ball away when it got to the rim. Uh, you know, that that kind of really stood out to me what they were able to do there.
0: Dustin Teperic, Indianapolis Star beat reporter for the Pacers. Last one for me, Dustin. Any thoughts on the Pacers reportedly kicking the tires on Pascal Siakam and what that trade could look like? And do you have any interest in that?
2: Yeah, I mean, we spent uh, we we wrote a story on that. Um, you know, just sort of playing through the pros and the cons. I mean, I thought the the deal that I saw kicked around, you know, on Twitter was that it would be uh, Buddy Buddy Heald, Andrew Nemhard, Jalen Smith, and uh, an unprotected first rounder next year that's a lot um the, the obviously the big issue is this it's it, it's a question of whether or not you can re-sign him um uh, because you've got you know he's heading, heading into the last year of his deal and if you're throwing young guys in for a guy that you're only getting for one season you know that part's tough because it's just like all right like you, you Yeah have- cuz they're not a year away right Right, no, they're not a year away. Um, again, there's he's going to be surrounded by so many young guys. Like it's it's not like well, you add Pascal Siakam, and all of a sudden this team can win the East. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's best a dark horse, you know, in, in that case. I mean, they're gonna, they would be a lot more competitive, you know, when, when you consider a team that's led by Halliburton and Siakam, you can say, okay, well, that, that's a team that's further along. You know, that's, again, Siakam's a legit, legit player. That's an elite talent. And, you know, I mean, if they're gonna be a team that's gonna, um, you know, have a chance to win the East. You know, it's going to be a real contender. Uh, you know, to, to, to win the conference and, and have a shot at the finals. You know, they're going to need an elite talent, and you know, it's going to be tougher to get it now because you know, if, if they start winning and start getting into playoffs, and I think they're good enough to do that. Um, you know, uh, they're not getting lottery picks anymore, and so you know, you have to find a way to add those to your roster or ben, Benedict Mather and has to stay, you know become an elite. All NBA level player, and you know that could happen. You know it could certainly happen. I'm not not ruling that out at all. He could, be, he could certainly become that guy, uh, but he has to be, and you know, and and Jaris Walker has to be, you know, whether if not an All Star level, he's got to be a high quality starter. Uh, you know, he, he's got to be as good as the power forwards they didn't get. He's got to be in that you know Jeremy Grant level uh, of of power forward uh, that that he's a guy that that you know you want to pay thirty million a year um, for them to be that. type Type of team that can really be an Eastern Conference contender. So you look at Siakam and say, well, that enhances everything really fast. But if you can't keep them, um, then all of a sudden, you know, you might lose some key pieces that you can really use down the road, uh, and you know, have have lost that capital if he walks. So that's I th- that's uh, an issue that you got to be wary of. Apparently Nemhard, you know, based on the reporting I've seen, is that Nemhard's a sticking point. They're like, yeah, we're not ready to get rid of that guy. And again, you see why. Uh, you know, he's just been really steady, but he's also not a guy that you can imagine scoring twenty a game. You know, I mean, he's he's been really solid as far as, far as scoring the ball, and he's had uh, some really good individual games. But you know, the consistency of you know that's going to be there every night um, isn't isn't necessarily that he's, he's a consistent player, but he's not necessarily a guy that's going to break out for you uh, every single game. Not every game is that. That Golden State game, um, so you know, like it's it, it's a, it's a tricky question, but you know the the thing is really you're asking before you make the deal. Um, you know, you're talking to a his agent and said, "You think we're going to work something out?" And if the answer is no, then I don't think you do it. I, I never
1: thought I would live in a world where a sticking point in acquiring Pascal Siakam would be Andrew Nimhard, but I'm here for it. I, yep. I, I agree with it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just. I think he is an important I think he he is literally like the twenty dollar bill you found washing your jeans where you're like, Man, this is way like hadn't planned on this, but I think mm-hmm. they like him a great deal. And Good that deal. was before he even blossomed over the court. like they loved Andrew Nimhard after watching him in the preseason a year ago. So you add yeah. on to that what they saw out of him in the regular season and now what he's done in the summer league um I think it would take a lot for a, a team to pry him away from Indiana because I think they they see his ceiling as very high. Dustin appreciate it as always and uh look forward to talking to you as you know things unfold uh, unfold with the finalization of the roster and then getting set for the regular season. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me guys.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: By the way, Mark, here's something for you to look forward to. I had totally forgotten about. Uh-huh. Before we get into your five indispensable Colts, uh-huh. I'll just simply do this as a tease what is one of the most fun things that we do each and every time I come back from Canada?
0: Uh, well, I would say that was overnight, where we're not sure if you're going to actually make it here. That would be number <laughs> numero, numero uno. And then number two is
1: you usually have some uh, treats from I do. over the border. I brought some snacks and uh, sweets and snacks and things. Okay, then. I've got them for you here. We can okay. do that in a little bit. Sure. Uh, I'm going to guess, so you did Kevin's podcast, right? Uh-huh. All last week, yep. And you talked about who you believe are the five most indispensable Colts, correct? Correct. He said,
0: heading into the 2023 season, who are the most indispensable Colts on the roster? And he said, take it however you like, run with it, and then we kind of went back and forth on our five, and that's how we did it. So
1: I'm going to give you, do you want my five, or do you want me to, who I think, well, I'll just say, I mean, it should be that... We have the same five, right? I'm gonna name some players you tell me if they made your list. Okay. Bernard Ryman. Yes. Okay. Um Michael Pittman Jr. No. Made Kevin's list, did not make mine.
0: Okay. Um He would have been like a top six. If I would have done a top six, he would have made it. Zaire Franklin. Yes ej speed no didn't make either of our lists
1: okay um boy any of their i mean the the problem is there aren't many of them any of their experienced back defensive backfield players i kind of take your pick right
0: uh kenny moore did make my list yes i made kevin's list too actually we both have it at number three there's a little spoiler
1: I'm trying to think then of who. So is Kenny Moore the only DB that you had on the list? And he's by the only. I mean by position, not by character.
0: <laughs> he's the only. He's the only defensive back I had on my list. Yes, Zaire, I had, I had two defensive players. Zaire Franklin was one, and Kenny Moore was the second.
1: Because I see, it's hard to say, like Julian Blackman, uh, It's hard to say because he's never healthy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that, that's a position that they're going to need some reinforcement i think at the safety position and the way we also broke uh, this so was... what numbers of so what numbers do you have left of your 5 uh
0: f- the ones that n- by names that you haven't said yet uh, No, total, the ones, I've...
1: The, the ones uh, of the 5 players that you picked mm-hmm. i have accurately predicted that you said bernard ryman yeah, he, he was even... number 3 on your list right
0: he's number well he's number 2 on my okay.
1: list i accurately predicted zaire franklin he was number what on your five. list 5 So I am missing number one, three, and four?
0: No, you said three because you asked about the defensive back. I said Kenny Moore. Oh, that's right. You're missing missing four and one. Um, On the offensive side. What's that? Your hint is that they're both on the offensive side. Are you going to say Jonathan Taylor? I'm going to say Jonathan Taylor. He and he he was on Kevin's list as well. Despite being a running back, uh Jonathan I, Taylor, you take him off that offense, and what does that offense look like?
1: Well, I, I don't disagree that when you are trying to mold a young quarterback, having that weapon is probably nice. Um that you know, it's interesting. I think that Jonathan Taylor probably has higher and this is what I've said all along about Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor probably has higher value to the Colts than he does market value. That's that's I completely accurate, I would say. And if you are looking to trade a guy, that's not necessarily the best scenario. No. I'm not saying they're looking to trade him, but uh, so was he your number one?
0: He was not. He was my number four. Okay. So your number one, uh, it's an offensive player? It's an offensive player. Kevin did not have this guy on his list at all, which I thought was actually pretty shocking. Are you going to say Quentin Nelson? No.
1: I was going to say. Um, your number one. Mm-hmm. Gardner
0: Minshew.
1: No. I only say Gardner Minshew because I think such a key piece of developing and building. Gardner Minshew might be my number one. That's not to say that they need him on the field. So it's, it's kind of two ways that you look at it. When you said take the question any way you'd like. What player on the roster has the most importance this year? I think it may be Gardner Minshew. See, I took it because as... Because Gardner Minshew's role... Without Gardner Minshew, you are throwing Anthony Richards into the walls, whether he's ready or not, and that can absolutely destroy a young quarterback.
0: See, I took it as if you take this guy off of the roster... What does that do for the depth behind it? What does that do for the confidence of the team and all that stuff? That's why Anthony Richardson was my number one most indispensable Colt because despite being a rookie, there are a lot of hopes and dreams on the fan base, hoping that this guy is the guy. They've gone through the ringer as far as Colts quarterbacks have been. But I don't concerned. know.
1: I get what you're saying. And to your point, it's however you want to take it. My only counter to that, Mark, would be Anthony Richardson probably is not an indispensable piece for success or failure this season.
0: But I would say if you don't have an answer of what he can do in 2023 and you go into 2024 with an unknown commodity again, at quarterback, that could be an issue as again, well. Again,
1: no, no argument there, but what you're talking about is his indispensability moving beyond 2023. You're trying to find out whether or not he truly is your number one.
0: But uh, uh, do you think the fan base, if we get like, so let's say, let's say, knock on wood, that Anthony Richardson gets hurt in week three and he's out for a significant amount of time, if you have Gardner Minshew under center the majority of the season, not only are you the fan base not going to be juiced, you're kind of going into Matt Ryan 2.0 territory where the season. Well, but kind nobody of lost. would
1: expect if Gardner Minshew is starting. I don't think anybody's thinking like like when when Peyton Manning got hurt and they signed to Kerry Collins and people were like here we go carry on like we're gonna be fine and then Kerry Collins came out and it was like weekend at Bernie's and they're like this guy's this it was this guy's terrible so I don't think anybody's expecting that I think if Gardner Minshew becomes a starter people are like okay well this guy is basically there to keep the seat to keep the seat warm and not completely humiliate him you know I, what I mean? Yeah, I know. I get what you mean. I think Gardner Minshew's think... value to the team, though, and a, and a big part of why he's here has nothing to do with what he is going to do, statistically speaking, between the lines this year. No, it's
0: because he was in Shane Steichen's offense in Philadelphia last season, which is why it makes a perfect. It was a perfect signing because he, he can. he knows the system. He can help Richardson get familiar with it and all that stuff. I just think that if you go into 20 – I don't care if Anthony Richardson throws 20 interceptions, gets sacked a career-high amount or something like that, you need to have some sort of – Assumption of what you're getting in him going forward in 2024, whether that's he can throw, whether it's he can run, whether you can see if he has a good connection with Michael Pittman Jr., how that all works. I that's why he's my number one on indispensable list because you have to see what you have in this guy. You spent the fourth overall pick in him. You've been kicking the tires on the quarterback position for. Years and years now, you need to get some sort of resolution there, and I think the fan base is starving for an answer at quarterback. That's why he's my number one.
1: Speaking of starving, oh. close your eyes. Close your eyes. Okay. Can you
0: can you hear? Oh, that sounds like mints. <laughs>
1: Amongst many. Oh my goodness! I got a whole bag here, buddy.
0: And of course, it's in a Roots bag of all
1: things. <laughs> of course. But you know what? I landed in Toronto, and I, I was taking the train to the hotel on Friday, and the train station is the mall where roots is and i'm like i i got to the hotel everybody's like where have you been what took so long like well i was at roots for like two hours
0: goodness gracious
1: canadian candy for you to sample here. i got a whole slew of it i don't know that we'll be able to get to all of it today including this one here i don't know if we've had this before the big turk
0: boy you (laughs) want to mispronounce that one
1: did we (laughs) did we try have we tried this one before no Okay, well, we'll Maybe try. It's the... better than the zero bar, it's, though. It says it's, it's, it's a two to share. Graham, you can try some of this, too. The Big Turk. We got all kinds of fun oh, stuff man, to do.
0: you really need to emphasize that K.
1: Uh, Pop Quiz is already done, even though Scotty Johnson took the day off. We'll get that for you in about 30 minutes as well. It is Kevin Acquari here, ninety-three five one zero seven five. The Fan.
0: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up,
1: So this is kind of a fog feeling, if you
0: will. Mm-hmm. And not just what it looks like outside right now. Your your brain is kind of what it looks like. Oh my
1: goodness, you're not kidding. You know, so here's the thing. And good morning to you on a Monday. Mark Dykton and Kevin Bowen on vacation. My name is Jake Query. It is Kevin and Query here on 93.5, 5, 107.5, The Fan. Here's the, to use that analogy, a very good one. Foggy outside like my brain this morning. As I flew, I was in Toronto for the IndyCar race. Flying home from Toronto, layover was in Charlotte. Very shortly after the race was over, I was at the airport in Toronto and boarding a plane for Charlotte. All good, right? Mm -hmm. When we boarded the plane for Charlotte, the pilot said, kind of an FYI, the... There's a lot of Canadian wildfire smoke in the Indianapolis area and you know it's it's kind of a cloudy you know environment that you're, we're going to be flying into okay the only problem is Mark that was four hours ago mm-hmm. five actually now because we were delayed and let me preface with this we are very fortunate. All of us to be able to travel to go cover sports, and I'm fortunate that this place allows me to do it. Of course, granted, I'm doing it for a broadcast that airs on this station, but um, nonetheless, I, you know, there's a lot of moving parts that goes into that, and I'm very grateful for it. So I'm not complaining by any stretch. But air travel now, it, I, I get it. I mean, there it just is. It's always kind of crazy. So we. We left Toronto a little bit late, not terrible. Got to Charlotte. And then as we're landing in Charlotte, our what was supposed to be like ten o'clock flight, it's like it's now ten forty three. Like, okay. By the time I get off the plane, it's like it's now eleven thirty six. Okay. I start walking towards the gate. The gate has changed, okay. As I'm walking towards the new gate, it's now 12.02, okay? So, I get to that gate, and the first people that I see standing there are Doug Bowles with his wife, Beth, and their son, Carter, who, by the way, turned 21 today. So, poor Carter is turning 21 basically in the airport, right? Like, hey, happy 21st. Not a liquor stand open (laughs) in sight. We're just standing around. So... They were on an 8.45 flight that got delayed until 12.35, whereas our 10 o'clock flight was delayed until 12.20. So they moved on to ours anticipating theirs was going to be canceled. So we, we sit there until 12, I, I don't even remember what time, 35, 12.50, and we're boarding our plane. And everybody's getting on it. And as they're boarding, the pilot gets on and says, folks, I appreciate the fact that you're boarding as quickly as possible, but they've just let me know that there's weather moving in and we have to get this plane taxied out of here within the next 12 minutes or else they're grounding us for the night. And there are no flights to Indianapolis tomorrow. So now it's like the scene in airplane where they've announced they're out of coffee. I mean, people like, and there's, of course, there's the one lady that's like, if I turn my bag this way. Oh, you're and, like, come on, lady, you're and, killing us. And people, I mean, people are literally, of course, everybody's like exhausted because it's now like one o'clock yep. in the morning oh, God. and they're like, oh my gosh, like just get, are you kidding me? Just let's go. So I, I think we landed actually. I mean, then they do the thing where they're like, we're going to make up time in the air. Okay. I'm always curious how they do that. I know. I, I tried to sleep a little bit, there, and we had, and they were like, it's going to be very turbulent. It was the, like the smoothest flight in the history of mankind. Um, so we made it here. I, I pulled in, and, and I basically walked into my house at 2.40, 2.45, something like that. Did you like get that. any sleep when you got home? I looked at my Fitbit this morning. I did get a little bit. Um, I think... Two hours and ten minutes, it says. So I'm ready to go, man. Like, let's go. Interesting.
0: Yeah, because I saw your text last night where you're like, I don't know about this. This is looking a little dicey. <laughs> I was like, oh boy.
1: I better go to bed now and well, just get they, up early. When we got on the plane, and, and I literally. And I know everybody that's listening has been in this situation. I mean, I'm not by any the reason I'm telling the story is because I think it's probably relatable to most people at some point when you've traveled, right? But literally so my friend, Stacey O'Donnell, that I've known since kindergarten, she was coming back from a girl's trip in Charleston, South Carolina, and was also trying to get onto the flight we were on. She ended up getting on, and she we're on the plane, and she texted me. She's like, oh my gosh, I made it. I'm like, great. And then we're taxiing to the runway and she's texting me and both of us are saying the same thing which is like i'll believe this when we're in the air I, I will believe that we are actually taking off when we're in the air and it was not until the wheels were up and i waited to send you the text to let you know that we were on our way and that we made it airborne i waited until we were the wheels were up to send you that text so whatever time you got that text
0: i got it when i woke up today at 4 30 in the morning <laughs> because i was like i don't know what's going on today i better get up early So yeah. So
1: here we are. Uh, Good Monday morning to you. As I had said, we've got a lot to talk about today, including Colts camp starting nine days from today, right? Uh A week from Wednesday, Colts camp will get underway. Also, some Pacers to talk about. Um, As a matter of fact, when we landed, well, a couple hours ago, Beth Bull said to me, now did the Pacers play? Because I think there was like three of them on our flight. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know if they would have routed Vegas to Charlotte. I don't know.
0: That would have been a hell of a...
1: a yeah, or they could have been coming in from a different different yeah. gate. I don't know. Uh but we'll talk a little pacers as well. Dustin Dopirak, right?
0: Pretty close to Pirac, yeah.
1: What did I say? Dopirak or whatever you just said. Dopirak. There you go. Dustin Dopirak gonna join us. Yes. That. Very good. Uh on the program today. Uh did you have a good
0: weekend? Had a good weekend, had a very good weekend, and now now we're, I know it sounds crazy, but now the grind really starts for the, the Dykedon household, because we've got some traveling to do these next like three or four weeks in a row, so it's going to be wild, because my brother and his uh, fiance are getting married next summer, but they're having kind of a uh, a barbecue at their place up in Milwaukee this next weekend, so we are kind of assuming that they're going to ask us to stand up in the wedding. But they're having like. Well, that seems a
1: that seems a a big assumption. Well,
0: it's only a few people are coming, and like it's my other brother and his girlfriend and like a few of their close friends, so we are assuming that. But I've also kind of been tipped off that that's that's what's happening. So I was like, okay, well, we should probably go to that. That's up in Milwaukee this upcoming weekend, so we'll be doing that. We're dropping our kids off at my grand my my parents' house, so they'll get some grandma and grandpa time. The following weekend after that, we're using some PTO and doing a little trip, and then after that is uh, on the week of August 5th and 6th is my uncle's annual golf outing that we go to. I've gone for the last, like, 20 years. So that's a annual tradition of uh, the uncles and nephews getting together, having a good time. No no women or children there. That's always fun. So the next three weeks are going to be quite busy for us.
1: Uh, this text, the only thing worse than going through a long and arduous travel experience is someone giving you a long, arduous, drawn-out story about their long, arduous travel experience. Be better. Uh, okay.
0: Hey, I, we've all been there. I mean, I yeah, I've had plenty. Of I believe I said
1: in the story. I'm telling it because I think most people can relate to it, right? Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, the way it goes. I, I, I was not jealous
0: of your uh, travel situation last night, not at all. But I, I, I can relate because I've been there
1: before. I think everybody has. That's the point, right? It's mm-hmm. like it's just. I, I guess there were storms in Florida, so this, I. I mean, I believe that's probably true, and so the flights that we were getting were coming from Florida.
0: One of the biggest panic attacks I've ever had was when we were supposed to fly out to Vegas for my sister-in-law's wedding, and my Ashley and I got to the airport, and for some reason we read the time wrong, and the door was closed, and we thought, oh my god, we're going to miss this direct flight to Vegas and be completely screwed out of getting here. And they're like, oh no, you're fine. But they called us over the air speaker, like, your last call! We're like, Ashley's in the bathroom, I'm like, get out of the bathroom, we gotta get on the plane! Oh my god. Did
1: you actually have a panic attack?
0: I was getting close, yeah, because I, I was like, "That's the only direct flight," and we had to get we had to get there because she was standing up in the wedding and all that. And I was like, "Oh my god, if we don't make this flight, we're going to be in some trouble."
1: So that was pretty nerve wracking. Now, speaking of panic attacks, should I throw this person under the bus or just say the name and say it anonymously? One of my coworkers on the radio network, uh, after yesterday's win for Christian Lungard in Toronto, he is the. Uh, Russ Thompson told me 298th. I saw IndyCar said 299th winner in IndyCar history because it was his first win for Christian Lungard in dominating fashion, really, in Toronto yesterday. Pretty good race. So as soon as the race was over, our flight, race ended like right around 345. Our flight's at 720. And if you don't have the MPC app, that is a game changer if you're flying in and you got to go through a Customs. You can do it kind of ahead of time and kind of skip the line type thing. Game changer. But at any rate, one of the people who does the radio network with me, I won't say any names as to not embarrass him, but um, his nickname rhymes with Snack Mood, and we got done with the race, got our stuff and got out of the track fairly quickly, immediately got a cab to take us to the airport, and I'm like, okay. Because you never know. you got to go through customs when you're flying out of Toronto. It feels like you're flying out of Chicago. But, I mean, you got to go through – you're in another country, right? right? So we're going there, and who knows what the line's going to be and customs and everything else. So we're basically exiting the the ramp to go to the airport in the cab, and I get everything ready, and I get my passport out. And the coworker says, oh, my gosh – I left my passport in the safe in the hotel. Oh boy! So I said, "Well, you're gonna—he's gonna drop me off, (laughs) and you're gonna have to go, you know, have this, keep this cab, and take it all the way." And we did cab, not Uber, because there actually was a cab. So, and he made it. I mean, he he. They dropped me off, and then he went the 40 minutes back to downtown Toronto, went to the hotel, got his passport, drove the 40 minutes back to the airport, Jeez. and made it with, like, of course, we were a little bit delayed. That helped. Still. <laughs> um, but a good day yesterday for Christian Lungard and the race itself. I, there wasn't a whole lot in terms of the race. Lungard started on pole, and he basically just did what you have to do. I mean, he he hit every mark. Um, his team ran a great strategy for him. I think the story of the race was probably Alex Pillow, who now has the largest lead this late in the season, I believe in IndyCar history, by a long shot. The previous record was Scott Dixon had an 84-point lead at this point in the year. Palo's up 113, I think. And he ran the last stint of the race, basically, with a broken or like a hanging-on front wing and still managed to finish on the podium. Truly impressive. Uh, Great performance from Palo as well i turned on the
0: race yesterday i was like all right let's see some racing boys and not even a lap in They're like seven car pile up yeah. let's get it going i'm like oh man this is this is not a good this is not a good ideal start under caution right out of the gate but yeah lungard hangs on hangs on and seems like it was a pretty fun race that track just looks like it's fun to experience
1: it, it is cool you know the, the cool thing about the toronto track and this is another funny thing about and probably along an arduous uh sports story but the, the racetrack where IndyCar raced over the weekend, Exhibition Place, it would be the equivalent, to, to put it in perspective for people here who have not been to the Toronto race, it would be almost identical to if they built a racetrack, a temporary street course, around the Indiana State Fairgrounds. That's the, So the Exhibition Place is basically their fairgrounds, okay? And... There is a huge soccer stadium in the middle of the track on the fairgrounds called BMO Field. That's where the Toronto FC MLS team and and it's interesting because I'm looking at BMO Field, which is a nice stadium, but it was probably built sometime in the mid-90s. All of the seats are just plastic, literally plastic seats, not even cushioned, just red plastic seats. Probably, I will guess there's 11,000 of them. It is a very simple... Two sided stadium with, you know, a little bit of stuff in the end zones and the field, and that's it. And it's in, it would be the equivalent of like the Coliseum for us in terms of arenas, although it's a stadium. And I'm thinking it's interesting that that's where an MLS team in the largest city in canada and like one of the 10 largest cities in north america plays but we have a billion dollar stadium coming for a like double a team Mm -hmm. but that's cool i mean whatever oh boy going down Um, that road already but the 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 stadium the BMO field the parking lot for it that is where the original exhibition place where the Blue Jays played, that's where the stadium was. So if you watched the, as I did, the 85 ALCS between the Blue Jays and the Royals, where the Blue Jays gave up a 3-1 lead and the Royals went on to win the World Series. But George Bell and Lloyd Mosby and some of those really good Blue Jays teams in the mid-80s, that that's where their stadium was. And they actually have in the parking lot the they have the bronze in in the inlay of the cement, home plate, first base, second base, third base. And it is kind of weird to look at aerials of the stadium and think, like, just in this parking lot, like the home plate, where home plate was, I was looking for it. I couldn't find it because I could see where third base was. So I'm like, well, home base has got to be in this area. And some woman was just basically standing on it uh, as part of the beer tent where they had like a micro beer oh. tent because it's in the fan village for the race itself. Um, but it is a cool event and it's been on their schedule for a long time. And so as a result of that, you know, in in Toronto, like when I landed and was was taking the train to the hotel on Friday night, the guy sitting next to me on the train's like, what are you doing in Toronto? And I'm like, I'm here for the, the Honda Indy Toronto. And he's like, oh man, you know, I'm not going this year, but I've always been a fan. Da, 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 da. So we ended up. i ended up getting him tickets and he went to the race because it is an event in toronto that's on their schedule it's in their mind you know what i mean oh it's race weekend that kind of thing which is always cool uh did you watch uh, part of what i watched yesterday in, be- in between the warm-up and the race itself just in the media center they had wimbledon on that was unbelievable
0: yeah it was, I, I i caught a little bit of it i didn't see much of it but i saw that novak djokovic took the l and it was kind of like he's like you know what i've won quite a bit I probably won some that I probably shouldn't have and I don't even know what's the guy's name that I'm going to Alcaraz yes
1: took the win yesterday I, here's the thing how many people if you stopped if, if, if you're on the I always use the Las Vegas strip okay if you were on the Las Vegas strip and you randomly stopped 1,000 people and you said who is the number one ranked men's tennis player in the world? How many are coming up with Carlos Alcaraz?
0: Zero. People will probably still say Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal.
1: Okay, how about this? If you stopped a thousand people and said, I'm going to tell, name a player and you tell me his ranking, Carlos Alcaraz, how many would be able to say he's number one? Zero. I mean, don't you think most people would think, joke of it? Like, It's weird to think that Djokovic winning that probably would have been, not an upset, but that would have been, you know what I mean? I mean, I realize Djokovic is, his dominance is unprecedented, but still, I mean, it's the number one player in the world, should win, right? You would think, It it was a great match, though, and they had some, um, I I didn't obviously get to see the whole thing but four hours and 42 minutes i mean the third longest final in wimbledon history yeah
0: it went for a while yeah i was like you can watch a few of the godfathers in that amount of time still some time left
1: over you know i saw the original godfather on a flight actually and it was weird because the movie starts and it goes right into it there's no like opening scene and then credits or anything it just it just starts Mm -hmm. and so i'm like Oh, this is just like the opening little scene and then the credits are going to come on and it never happened. Like the credit, it just kept going. Yeah. And I thought it was, I, I realized it's probably the most precise film ever made, but I, I found it, there was such a buildup to it because I hadn't seen it until, I mean, it, this was like eight years ago, the first time I ever saw it. So it's hard to live up to the cultural hype around it.
0: Right. Yeah, especially when it's been around for so long, and everybody's like, that's one of the greatest films of all time. And you're like, okay. And then you kind of judge for yourself for a first-time viewer. You're kind of like, okay, this either did or did not live up to the hype. And usually... It falls short of the hype because you've heard so much about it that you're like, this can't possibly live up to the hype that I've heard about it.
1: Uh, the Reds did not live up to the hype after the All-Star break. That is back to earth Boy. for the Redlegs.
0: Kevin was worried heading into the All-Star break, and he has reason to be concerned because, yeah, a clean sweep by the Milwaukee Brewers over the weekend. The Reds, four-game losing streak. Not an ideal start for the second half of the baseball season
1: for your Cincinnati Redlegs. Not not good. Still six games over 500. I mean, look, you can't totally complain, right? I mean, you're... But you're hoping that you know, was that last like month and a half a fluke? I mean,
0: I keep thinking like at some point this starting pitching is going to catch up to them and everything. And you can see when the bats aren't when the bats aren't really producing, it puts more onus on the starting pitching of the Reds, and obviously not an ideal thing for them. And they've got a tough series coming up now because they've got the Giants up next. So that's gonna be tough. On the other side though, your Baltimore Orioles cannot be stopped. Did you see that eight eight game winning streak? A game behind the Tampa Bay Rays why, why right now. Why are you
1: acting like I would be surprised by this? I
0: don't know. Cute fellas doing it, and my my Arizona Diamondbacks are cratering back to earth. Four game losing streak on their own. I'm not. I'm not loving my chances right now. So, you, you got a nice clear like lead right now of like four games.
1: So our race for PBR. Okay, we did this at the beginning of the season when the major league baseball season started. We took the over unders of every team in the majors, and we each took a team. That had an over/under of what was it, seventy-five or or less? Win total projection of under seventy-five, yeah. And so I took the it, with the deal is whoever has the team with the best record, the other two chip in to buy him a six pack of PBR. Mm-hmm. It was originally supposed to be the three of us, me, you, and Kevin, and then J V got involved. He took. The, the Kansas City Royals. He has no chance. The Royals are 27 and 67, uh, which is pathetic, except for that Kevin's Oakland Athletics are 25 and 70. Only 30 and a half games out of first place. 34 and a half back, Oakland is in the in the wild card. Or no, yeah, they're 34 and a half back in the league itself. Now, you took the Arizona Diamondbacks, who have had a good start 52 uh-huh. and 42, 10 games over 500. Winning percentage of five fifty three. I took the cute fellow Baltimore Orioles fifty seven and thirty five. They have the second, uh, third best record in all of baseball. They're looking pretty good. Bring it on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie Garrison got involved in this game. I believe he took the Pittsburgh Pirates. If I'm not mistaken, forty one and fifty two for the Pirates.
0: It's basically a two two horse race. You you and me. That's it. Yeah. Kevin's that's... out. JMV's out. Eddie's out. I think Jimmy wanted into. He can I think took the Rockies there equally terrible
1: 36 and 58 it's a two-horse race right now i got to thinking a lot about our conversation with the colts from last week and maybe every franchise goes through this mark but it seems like every training camp every year for the colts there is some player that we don't even know what their availability is going to be a marquee player. Mm -hmm. I mean, going way back, like it just seems like there's always somebody, I guess it's, I, I guess it's a huge gift for those of us that are sports talk hosts in Indianapolis, because it gives us something to talk about. Right. But it just feels like there's always one player, either critical time of the season or heading into the preseason where we just have huge question marks about their health. And, it's again Shaquille Leonard, and I know that this is going to be a topic that's probably going to be broken record, but Mark, I, I don't know that we ever see him again, and I, I, I hate saying that. I'm not rooting for it, obviously. I don't know that we ever see him again at the full strength, 100% level that we've seen him in the past.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's going off of what we played last week with Jim Ursay audio on Pat McAfee where he said, well, he's trying hard. He's we'll see and everything like that. And there's a bunch of like didn't sound very confident statements from Jim Ursay that he's working his way back. He's trying. He's had a couple back surgeries now. I mean, when Kevin asked, hey, what do you think that means? You mean think that's start of training camp optimism or what? I said, I think that's optimistic for week one of the NFL regular season. I don't think we're seeing him at training camp. I don't think we're seeing him at all in the preseason. I think, from what I gather from Jim Irsay, that is a hopeful we'll see him at the start of week
1: one of the regular season. I mean, the thing about Jim Irsay is, you know, he's pretty candid, right? Yeah. He's pretty transparent. Like, I think sometimes that we have – it's woven into us sometimes to be skeptical, kind of as people, but certainly as, like, radio hosts. And – a lot of times, and I'll give Chris Ballard this much, th- this credit as well, I think Chris Ballard's a guy that a lot of times we assume he's speaking in tongue, and then after the fact, we're like, that's pretty much exactly what, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, he's been pretty forthright. Yeah. Like,
0: oh, those tea leaves are right there
1: the whole time. Yeah. yeah. So, hope I'm wrong, hope Shaquille Leonard is able to go, but certainly something that we will watch. We've got more Colts talk
0: as well because I want to throw a few
1: things at you. Uh, Kevin and
0: I got into an indispensable Colts heading into the 2023 season, and I want to give you my five later on in the show and get your thoughts on that as well. So, plenty of Colts talk upcoming. Pacers put a bow on the summer league season. We'll talk to Dustin Apiric at 8 o'clock about all of that. Uh, an AFC South rival gets a legit number one wide receiver. Yeah, we we'll got to talk, talk about that. Talk about that in the morning checkdown. Plus, We've got WWE Fast Lane tickets and Indiana State Fair tickets all week long. So you want to be on listening for that when we give both of those away later on in the show. It's Kevin and Query on a Monday, hazy Monday morning. A dreary-eyed Jay Query here along with Mark Dykton as well. Graham Shear on the ones and twos. Morning check down coming your way on the other side of the break. You're listening to Kevin and Query, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.